Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about how God will make all things new. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to be prayed for. Our church has a prayer team that consistently prays for people. Sometimes those people are in our church, sometimes they're not. But anyone who asks for prayer gets prayed for. I don't know who will hear this sermon, but I do know that it will be people all over the country and to some degree around the world. If I know one thing about people, it is that they have fears, failures, and struggles. In the midst of all that, I believe that God responds to our prayers. We may not get everything we want, but God does work all things for the good of those who love Him, specifically in response to prayer. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. Go to creekside.me and click on Get Prayer. It'll take you to a form, submit the form, and we will pray for you. Again, it's creekside.me. I hope you'll take me up on this offer. Again, thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you learn and live more fully for the glory of God. In fact, I'm praying that it will. Today, we are going to continue to look at the book of Revelation. I have no connection to Mother's Day whatsoever in this sermon, but maybe I'll think of one on the fly and I'll say like specifically you moms, but we are coming to the end of this book and I hope uh, if you've been with us as we've studied through the book of Revelation that you have learned to appreciate um, its depth and its importance to our lives But today I want to start by talking about a different book of the Bible, and that is the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know who's read Ecclesiastes in the room. You can raise your hand if you want. Yeah, yeah, some of you have read Ecclesiastes. It's a a fascinating book written by this guy named Solomon. He's known as like the wisest person ever to live. And he goes, this book is, is, is not that long, but it it just is this interesting thing where, where he talks about, basically, I'll, I'll summarize it this way, all the things that make, life, that make life good or should make life good or make life valuable or you know, make life tolerable. And then he gets to the end of talking about these things and there's this repeated refrain, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And you read through this book and you're like, wow, like this is, this is depressing. I mean, everything that can make life good, it's just meaningless. In fact, by the way, the NIV translation of the Bible, 33 times uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it uses the word meaningless, and only 37 times in the Bible as a whole. And so the book could be summarized, you know, almost as though like this, like life is meaningless. But you get to the very end of the book and this wise person, Solomon, you know, wisest guy ever to live, he says these words as he's wrapping things up. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And today, our second to last sermon in the book of Revelation, 
I want to kind of do something I think Ecclesiastes-like. We've gone through this book, and, and it's filled with questions. And I've worked really hard to help you see the book as a book of impact and not a book of interest. That's a line that I've said over and over and over again. But there's all of these very difficult things in the book of Revelation when we discuss trumpets and seals and dragons and beasts and bulls and Babylon. And we've discussed the primary views of the book, and we've discussed the views of the Millennium Kingdom, and we've discussed different ways that people see the last few chapters of the book and 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 if you're like me you're like okay Chad said a lot and hopefully you've said okay these sermons are important they've helped you but you kind of get to the end and you're like what did we just do you know I mean what what's the point of all that and today we're going to just see this single phrase that I think wraps it all up for us we have one more sermon but it's kind of outside the main uh, meat of the book and this one phrase, I think, if we could get anything from all of this, you know, the last seven months of looking at the book of Revelation, if it's your first time here, you can just take this with you and you can just grab this and say, okay, this is the thing that is at maybe the heart of the book of Revelation. In, in Ecclesiastes, it's fear God and keep his commandments. And it's very similar in our passage of scripture today. It's this, you take all the beasts and all the bulls and all the views and all the stuff and you have this one phrase, Worship God. Worship God. That is at the heart of everything in this book. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that exact phrase. But listen to this. Revelation 22, 6. Then, or excuse me, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I like this because it says, look, what you've read, it's trustworthy and true. I mean, we spent seven months looking at this book and we're getting near the end and, and the author's like, hey, I want you to know, or the angel wants you to know through the author, like, hey, this stuff that you've looked at, you can trust it. This is reliable information. These are reliable truths. These are reliable things to apply to your life that you have been looking at. The truths, lessons, morals, theology in this book, the book that we call Revelation, they are trustworthy. They are true. They are dependable. I listed, I've put here 10 things that we've seen in this book. And it's not all the things that we've seen in this book as we've studied through it the last seven months, but here are 10 things that I think are really important. And I love knowing that they're dependable. We've seen that we should serve God when it's hard. That's a major theme in this book. We should worship as part of our lives because we will worship in eternity. Satan uses political and even religious leaders to pull us away from God. That's trustworthy. That's true. We must remember that Jesus is the sovereign Lord and the suffering lamb. God is absolutely in control even when it doesn't look like it. That's reliable. When you face the consequences of your sin, you have a choice. You can curse God or you can repent. That's truth. Repentance is necessary for salvation and anyone who isn't a Christian should repent and turn to the lamb who sacrificed for their sins. That's true. The return of Jesus should excite Christians and terrify everybody else. That's true. Christians should live differently than the rest of the world as we serve God. That's true. Heaven is going to be really really awesome. That's true. 
So we've seen all of this stuff that's so important. And by the way, if you haven't been here with us, you can go to our website, click the resource tab, click sermons, click Revelation sermons. You can watch all the sermons. Uh, Just click on Revelation sermons. They're all there. But if you've been here, I hope that you've learned some things, that you've seen that this book can apply to your lives. And as we come to the end, it's really important. This angel is just like, he's putting the seal of truth on it. Like this, what you've studied, what you've looked at, what you've taken into your hearts, it's absolutely trustworthy and true. I said it before and I want to say it again. My goal in this series has been to help you see this book as a book of impact and not just a book of interest. And and really, as we come to the close of it, my hope is that you will be a person that leaves our study of Revelation and, and yet you return to the book when life gets hard to compel you to continue to serve God, to look for ways that you can continue to serve God, to be encouraged to continue to serve God, to be inspired to continue to serve God even when it gets really, really hard. Now, don't miss the little line. I think this is so important. It says that it's trustworthy and true, but then there's this little phrase, God who inspires the prophets. There's this thing that happens. People ignore the book of Revelation because it's difficult. That's real. You know that. I mean, people will read the New Testament. They'll get to the book of Revelation and you know, maybe read a chapter or two and just think that's confusing and give it up. But this little phrase is such a great reminder. God who inspires the prophets. It's, it, it's as though this angel wants you to remember that, that the book of Revelation is not some other thing. It's part of the divinely inspired scripture that we hold to as Christians, that we believe to be true as Christians. Second Peter 1.21 says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so this author, the author of 2 Peter, he tells us how we got scripture, specifically the Old Testament. He tells us how we got it. We got it because the Holy Spirit inspired people to write things down. And so when we look at the Bible, especially specifically the Old Testament here, we go, oh, that isn't just some human authors writing some human things. This isn't like a great book. This isn't like C.S. Lewis or, you know, a great Christian author. This is something different. It's the inspired word of God. But then the author of 2 Peter, he tells us that it's not just the Old Testament because listen to 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them, of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. You see what that does? This author says, look, all scripture is inspired by God. And then he says, Paul's letters, which is most of the New Testament, are scripture, which shows us that Paul's letters like Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and First and Second Corinthians and all of those, they too are inspired. And here in the book of Revelation, we have similar language to say God inspires the prophets. What you read about in the book of Revelation is not simply some weird apocalyptic book. 
It is the inspired word of God given to you in order to change your life. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's a verse you should memorize, talks about how all scripture is God-breathed. And then it tells you the reasons for reproof and edification. And, uh, and I can't remember the other two. I do have it memorized, but it slipped my mind right now. And, uh, and so uh, it's profitable to our souls. That's what 2 uh, Timothy tells us, 2 Timothy 3.16. And I want you to know, I want you to remember as we come to the end of this book, that Revelation is a book that isn't there for you to pick it apart and go, this means this and this means that. It's there to to change your life, to help you keep serving Jesus even when it's hard because there's internal rejections of truth and, and external you know, persecution. And so, so, we have one and a half weeks left on this book, but don't leave it behind. Don't let Revelation be this thing that you listened to some sermons about at church many years ago, but let it be a part of the edification of your soul, your spiritual growth. And there's this little phrase that says it must soon take place. We'll come back to that because Revelation 22, 7 says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Jesus, you know, there's a declaration from Jesus here that he's coming back soon. And we go, wait, it's been a long time since these words were written. So there's a couple of things to remember, and we'll come back to this even again, but our timing is not God's timing. That's one thing you must remember. Our timing is not God's timing. And the second thing that you must remember is that we believe and we should live as though Jesus' return is imminent, that it can come at any time, that we should be expecting it, that we should be longing for it, that we should be hoping in it, that we should be serving Jesus because we believe that it can happen in any time. Even while Jesus walked the earth, he taught us the importance of expecting his return. Even before his disciples, of which we are, if we're Christians, even before they understood that he was going to die, rise again, ascend into heaven, and return, even before that, he was teaching them the importance. He was teaching us the importance of having an expectation that he could return at any time. And so it is as true today as it was then that Jesus will return soon, even if our timing is not God's timing. And so what must we do? We must keep the words of the prophecy. Keep the words of the prophecy. And what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, the word keep simply means keep an eye towards, to pay attention to, to look to. And so what I've already said to you is true once again. We should be paying attention to the things that this book, this apocalypse has told us, it says to us, it, we should be paying attention to the truths that God wants us to understand through this little scroll that we call the book of Revelation. But it's interesting because it says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. Not only should we keep these words, but we should remember that we will be blessed in doing so. 
This word, this is an important word in the New Testament. You've heard me, if you've been around any amount of time in our church, you've heard me talk about this Greek word makarios, which is the word that we translate blessed or uh, oftentimes in church, just because we're in church, blessed. Uh, same exact word, but we say it differently in church often. This is the Greek word makarios, which was used for the happiness that the gods had because they had unlimited resources and an unlimited ability to use those resources. The way I've described it so many times in this church is, is it's like the ability to keep eating chocolate cake forever. Like you have unlimited chocolate cake, but you never get full and you never get sick and you can just keep going and going and going. It's total and utter satisfaction. It's satisfaction that cannot be changed by our circumstances around us. That's the key to it all. It is internal satisfaction that cannot be, will not be altered by our circumstances. And you read a book like Revelation, and no matter how you understand it, no matter whether you see it as a future thing or a past thing, no matter whether you see it as a total spiritual thing or a thing that tells the timeline of Christian history, no matter how you see it, no matter what viewpoint you take, you look at it and you go, okay, it's very clear that tons of evil exists in the world. That evil doesn't just exist in the world, but it infiltrates the church. It, it moves into our Christian circles that, that people will reject truth, that we will be persecuted, that we will be hurt for our faith, that people will mock us and, and sometimes even arrest and beat and torture and kill us, that we will go the way of the cross. Christians deal with that all around the world. We deal with some of it in our world today, but we know it to be true. And when you read a book like Revelation that brings the, that all to the forefront, it can be really easy to get scared on the inside. And in fact, I've talked a lot in this time in the book of Revelation about how a lot of people have true and deep fear surrounding the idea of this book, the ideas within this book. They look at it and a lot of times in, in its history, the history of this book, people preach it in order to scare people, to make people fearful, to make people dread what might take place. But that's not its primary purpose. The primary purpose of the book of Revelation is to encourage and inspire Christians. And here, we read this little phrase that says, if you will keep the things written in this scroll, if you will pay attention to them, and you will let them affect your life, then no matter what happens on the outside, no matter how bad things get in the world, you can still be okay on the inside. And I wonder, I wonder, as I stand before you today, about the lack of peace that permeates so many Christians today. Uh, the amount of fear that, that grips so many Christians today, I wonder if it's because we never talk about the book of Revelation anymore. Because the book of Revelation stands there saying, hey, things get really bad. Things can be really, really bad but you have to remember that your God is in control. That he is going to save you, whether in this life or the next. And heaven is going to be incredible. And that's what you look forward to. If you'll keep the words of this prophecy, then you will be blessed. You will have satisfaction that no circumstances can change. And then in Revelation 22, 8 and 9, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. 
And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Ready? Worship God. Now first, John puts his name on it here, and I think this is another way of of, of verifying the truth of what we've just read. Man, I opened this series by kind of reading, not this series, but this book by reading um, some quotes about, you know, how people saw this as just this crazy book. And, And if you remember way back, which you probably don't, one called it like the meandering of a of a crazy person, and, and it feels like that at times. But at the end, as we come to the close, John reattaches his name to it. Why is that important? Because this is not some crazy person. This is a hero of the faith. And he is writing this as inspired by God for churches. And these churches, they know John, They love John, they respect John, they look up to John, they recognize that this is a hero of the Christian faith. I mean, there's a man who who may be the only one of Jesus' 12 disciples that are still living. So think about that, 11, you know, one suicide and then 10 other people that are doing the job that you have been given by Jesus proclaiming Jesus to the world, talking about how Jesus died for sins and rose again. And he's doing that, and he's still doing it, despite seeing 10 other people killed because they were doing the same thing. And it's not like he was just, you know, I almost said on some island, but he is on some island because he has been arrested, probably tortured, and then sent to this island to spend his remaining days in a place where he can no longer do, at least in the minds of the Roman government, the things that he has been called by God to do. And yet here he is giving this divinely inspired book to the churches. This is not some drug-using crazy person. This is a hero of the faith saying, this is a vision that I had. And it's here for your edification and your good. So keep the words. But even more than that, it's this weird thing. He falls down in worship. And it's not the first time he's done this. He falls down in worship of an angelic being. Wrong thing to be worshiping. In Revelation 19.10, it says, At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. It's so similar, right? It's so similar, in fact, that um, in my notes for my sermon, I accidentally made it in the font of my key passage, like my main passages, because I forgot that it was a different passage. I mean, it's like the same story. It's so similar, in fact, that Jim McGuigan is like, this author that I've quoted a lot through the book of Revelation as we've studied through it, he's like, I don't think that this can actually be John's reaction, but rather part of his vision. Because who does this twice? I mean, what? A, like you already got in trouble once. Like, like don't do it again. Like it, it's such a crazy moment. By the way, this question comes up, can John, is he sinning in heaven? Can we sin in heaven? The answer is no, John is not in heaven. He's getting a glimpse of heaven. But, but whether you think John did it again or not, and I do, I actually just think that he did it again. I think the point is clear. Everything that John is seeing, 
This magnificent heavenly scene that is before John, there is only one and good and proper response to it. It's worship. And John recognizes that, and so, as humans will do, he does the wrong thing, even though he has the right motivation. He knows that he needs to worship, but he falls before the wrong being. Now, it has been theorized that angel worship was a problem for some of the churches in which this book was going to go to. It was actually a big problem in the early church. Book of Hebrews deals with that a lot. And so maybe God includes this in his infinite wisdom in order to call out that angelic worship and say, look, you have two instances where John does it, don't do it. But none of that really matters because, because the point is so clear. Worship God. Worship God. We've got the four views. We've got the millennial views. We've got the struggle with determining who the beast is and you know, who the, who the, what the dragon represents, Satan. That one's clear. But like, like oh, that's weird. And we've got the mom in the wilderness. Happy Mother's Day. Told you I'd get it in. We've got the mom in the wilderness. And, um, and we've got all of these symbols and signs and fire and brimstone and hell. And, and like... It's like, what do I do with all of it? Worship God. Worship God. We should worship him when it's hard. We should worship him when people are rejecting truth. We should worship him when political leaders compel us not to. We should worship him when religious leaders are teaching falsehood. We should worship him when we are persecuted. We should worship him if it costs us our lives. We should worship him eternally. Worship God. Worship him because he is majestic. Worship him because he is all-powerful. Worship him because he rules and reigns over all. Worship him because he came to die for you. Worship him because he calls you to repentance. Worship him because he will wipe away every tear. Worship him because he will put an end to evil and death. Worship him because he will make all things new. Worship God. I really hope that you'll read Revelation again in your future. And when you do, you'll be just as confused as before. Maybe you'll have a little background. Maybe you'll have my sermon with you, but you'll still struggle along just like I've done in this series. But I hope that you'll see all of it through the lens of that single phrase, worship God. And when you read about beasts and dragons and women in the wilderness, you'll go, okay, I think it might be this, I'm not really sure, but I do know that I'm gonna worship God. And when it talks of a millennial kingdom and you can't make it make sense and you're like, well, does this go first or does this go first or does that go first? I don't really know. You'll go, well, I don't really understand it all, but I do know this, I'm going to worship God. Or when you look at the heavenly scenes and you question, is this meant to be literal or figurative or spiritual, I'm not really sure. You know what I believe, I think it's, it's figurative for how great it's gonna be, but you're going, I'm not really sure because I see some of it and you know, I don't really like the idea of just a bunch of squares, like I mean a big square thing, that doesn't make sense, like, I'm not sure, just remember this, it's there to compel you to worship 
God from beginning to end. This book exists so that you will worship God. And if you will keep the words within it, then you will be blessed. You will have internal satisfaction that cannot be touched by your external circumstances. And then finally, in Revelation 22, 10 through 11, it says, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll, because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Weird verse, right? Uh, Daniel eight twenty six is the opposite. Daniel's told to seal up the scroll. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. And again here, it shows us that we are supposed to treat Jesus' return as imminent. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon. Does that mean it'll happen in your lifetime? I don't know, but it'll happen soon. And so we should be ready for the return of Jesus. Verse seven's weird. Like, does it just say bad people should continue to be bad and good people should continue to be good? Like, well, after all of this, is that what this really means? No. It really means that there will always be bad and there will always be good. Individuals should repent and give their lives to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you should become one. If you are a Christian, you're serving Jesus, you should continue to do that. That's not the point. The point, rather, in the words of Dr. Mike Kuykendall, my professor who I owe so much to when it comes to the book of Revelation and understanding, it says, the point is rather that good and evil are never transcended. The dualism so evident to John in Roman society between the godly and the ungodly wicked is not going to change in the short term. That remains before Christ's coming. Individuals may change, but two groups will continue forever. Those who do wrong or the vile on one side, and those who do right or are holy on the other. Certain things will be no more. And it's only for those of us who repent and give our lives to Jesus that can look forward to those days because it will be good for us. This is because Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? And at the heart of all of this is Jesus offered you everything that you've read about here that is good. He's offered it to you. He did that by, by coming from heaven to earth to die for your sins. Like I said before, if you're not a Christian, become one. Follow Jesus. Good and bad will always exist, but throughout this book, we have seen these little clues, these little moments. It, you cannot get away from it. It's like destruction, destruction, destruction. Jesus can save you, destruction, destruction, destruction at certain points. Become a Christian, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and worship God. Elders, scrolls, trumpets, stars, dragon, strange creatures, angels, three and a half years, a thousand years, beast, bulls, Babylon. It's all there to say to you, worship God. If you're not a Christian, turn to him in repentance accept him as your savior and worship him. If you are a Christian, here's what I want from you today. As you live this life with all of its confusion and struggles and difficulties and pains and failures, all of the stuff that you deal with, I want you to ask, am I truly at the end of the day living my life in worship of God? Romans 12 tells us, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We are to be completely and totally and utterly sold out for the worship of God. In our families, in our jobs, in our play, 
in our entertainment, in our life. Everything should be devoted to the worship of God. And so this morning, I want you to just to think about this question. What are you worshiping? And if it's anything other than God, I want you to make a decision this morning to change that and to worship him. Let me pray that you will. Lord Jesus, I first pray that those who do not know you and love you and follow you, that they would come to you. It might be people sitting in front of me. It might be people watching online. But I pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would call them and compel them in a new way to accept the gift of salvation that you offered through your death on the cross. Bring them to you, Lord. But for those of us that are Christians, Lord, I pray that we would throw away all idols. I think as I asked the question, what are you worshiping, that probably certain things came to the mind of every one of us, Lord. Certain things that maybe we've given a little bit of our allegiance to, that if it was between you and that thing, we might give that thing, you know, our, uh, our time, our energy, our efforts, our money. And, and I pray that today we would cast aside our idols, Lord, and we would worship you, that we would, God, cling to, hold to the things written in this scroll, and we would worship you. We would worship you because you were the lamb, we would worship you because you are sovereign. We would worship you because you are good and you are good to us, Lord. Help that be our decision today to worship you. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.